I left the thing that made some money and jumped into the thing that made no money because it's a classic entrepreneurial decision to make, I guess. Because you are always striving for something more and regardless of whether you achieve that first milestone, you'll create a new one for yourself and then you've got to go and find that. And so therefore, by definition, you're never quite making it as far as you want because there will always be more. You know, I, I always think about entrepreneurship as a blessing and a curse. Having have an ambitious mind is a blessing and a curse because you will always want more, but you'll never quite achieve everything that you really want. So this is Vulnerable, the first founder mental health podcast powered by Founders Taboo. Let's get into it. Class. Class. So easy. Feels really nice. Oh, it's beautiful, isn't it? The buttons that are there. It's just enough buttons and nothing yeah. more. And that's ideal. Yeah, I feel so pro. Yeah, whereas Zoom just, just yeah, Zoom just, just shines. Like, what are you doing, guys? Come on, seriously. Um, Ash Phillips, welcome to the podcast, Vulnerable Podcast, where we're going to get vulnerable. Good. It's an Thanks absolute, you, absolute pleasure to have you. Um, let's talk about you. Let's talk. get right into this. Let's talk Favorite about subject. you growing up. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but let's talk about you growing up because in the call we had yesterday, yeah. it was very clear that you're as big a weirdo as I am. And we, I, I think there's something inbuilt with us which is just odd. Um, the way we do things, I mean, you dropped out of uni, right? Um, um, started a few businesses, sold them, like, yeah, fair. Um Talk to me about you growing up. It's a very high level question. Yeah, where, where shall I start? Um, you're right. Yeah, like, you know, we wouldn't be on things like this if we weren't a bit weird, right? Like, people wouldn't listen to it if we weren't a bit weird. I always say, and this is so cliche, so like, someone's going to quote me on this at some point and call me a bit of an idiot, but like, people who is it's basic i'm paraphrasing myself because i always say it much better when i've got time but um like anyone who did anything interesting was never considered normal like <laughs> literally that's just by default so you've got to be a bit weird to do something cool um but yeah well me growing up i'm from bristol born and raised still live here um grew up in a working class family like 200 yards outside of the welcome to bristol sign so officially south gloucestershire really um and uh and yeah i went to nursery primary school high school college uni for six months all about five minutes from my parents house so i've lived in a little bit of a bubble a filton bubble um for anybody listening to this who doesn't know where filton is um it's where concord was uh, made and last flown so that's our claim to fame there's a lot of people that work for british aerospace that live in my town um and yeah, and so just pretty boring, really, as far as an upbringing goes. Never left the country until I was 18. Really? Um, yeah, Southwest holidays, you know, classic working class story. Parents had a caravan, went on holiday about an hour away from where I live for my whole childhood. It was great because we went away more often than most people. And all my friends were always very jealous about the fact that we went on holiday a lot. But obviously, I never really counted it as a holiday because mm. it's only an hour down the road. Mm. Um yeah, a few little fun facts, I'm sure, that we could probably dive into. Probably mean a whole lot more than I, I realised at the time now. But, um, Go on. But yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I guess, like, you know, if you, if you sit in a therapy session, you realise most things mm. track back to your childhood. Mm. And so what you take as an anecdotal at the time and just so circumstantial at the time, unbeknownst to you at the time, and it's happening right now probably for, for future you, future me, um, and we're still doing exactly the same thing, but you can't really notice it in the moment. But, um, you know, you're the sum of the things that you did and were. And so that's, you know, all of those little things that happened to me as a kid that were seemingly boring or whatever, probably, you know, were small parts of what we've all become today. Um, and so, yeah, don't, don't Can take you name a few, some of those, a few of those boring parts that made you? Yeah. Know? I think like, one of the things um, that sticks out for me is whilst being at school, every year without fail, I would get a school report that would say, it's really good, but it'd be great if you just stopped talking. I'm like, how ironic is it that I literally do that for like half of my job now? 
And how ironic is it that my school and my college have both invited me back to give talks? So like, you used to put me in detention for this, and now you're mm. paying me for this. Like, mm. well, it's really weird. Um, and obviously, you know, didn't realize at the time that it was a personality trait that I could have lent into. And, you know, the education system doesn't necessarily cater for that because we're trying to fit a certain box um, or tick certain boxes. And, um, and yeah, and that was, I guess, one thing. Another was, 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 you know, my parents took care of us. Like, they, uh, you know, use working class loosely because it's all relative, right? But, um, but you know, I never wanted for things. I had a roof over my head and a happy, happy upbringing. Parents are still together and I have lots of friends who, whose parents aren't. But it's like n- not having, I feel like, makes you want later in life. And it's not want for material gain. It's not that I want a really big house for the sake of having a really big house. I don't want a, a Rolex for the sake of having a Rolex. I want it because it f- it's a it's a marker for progression out mm. of where I've come from. Mm. And um, and so yeah, those little things that I just took as yeah, little caravan holiday on the weekend are probably profound reasons why I'd like to go and visit Fiji now because I never had that when I was a kid, and so on and so on. So. Yeah, those are a couple of little observations, I guess, of many if, if we had all day to talk about those things. But um, Interesting. Yeah. And when did you know, moving into you being an entrepreneur, like when did you know that you were, you were thinking differently to your peer group, to your friends? You wanted to do something very different to the classic 9 to 5? That's a good question. Um, that's why you have a podcast. And pay to I, <laughs> I I get to I think I get to like college and there's this like combination of things that happen all at once so entrepreneurship starts becoming a bit glamorized through TV two programs famous programs now over dramatized in my opinion that don't paint an accurate representation of entrepreneurship which is Dragon's Den and The Apprentice um, they you know are, are very dramatized but they start popularizing entrepreneurship where it was a weird uh, career before and I've had any exposure to it myself then um, at the same time come to the end of college and or the end of school and the end of college that's you know, a two-year span and careers advisors do what careers advisors do and if they are salespeople, then they're very good at it but they're asking close questions unbeknownst to themselves about if you're above a certain line of grade they're going to be asking you what you're going to go and do at university they're not asking if you even want to go. They're asking you what you're going to do at university. So by default, you know, unbeknownst to me and sales tactics at the time, I just answered, uh, you know, naive to the fact that I don't think they're targeted, but if they were, they'd be really good at it um, on, on me going into uni. And so I gave a default answer. And the default answer was defined by the popularization of entrepreneurship, which I saw and enjoyed watching at least. And then another thing that happened at the same time, which was just wondering what the hell I was going to do in my life, looking at salary tables, um, I remember really vividly, of jobs, you know, who earns the most and which of those jobs would I be happy doing? And there was always, you know, doctor, pilot, lawyer, dentist on those on those uh, salary tables. Not a big fan of teeth, couldn't see myself doing that all day, every day probably not academic enough to be a lawyer i'd get like a year in and be bored of books um i'd like to think i'm more of the mike ross of the of the legal world if i was going to be a lawyer but um that's for the suits fans out there um and uh but everybody probably likes to think they're mike ross um but there was this mysterious job title at the top that said managing director and it was like you know pilots and lawyers and dentists and stuff it was like oh from 70 grand to you know, 250 grand a year or whatever it was. And managing director was like zero to infinity or something stupid. I was like, that's weird. Like, why can you make nothing or everything? And what Mm. the hell does that job title even mean? Having had never, never had any exposure to it. And, you know, all these things come together and I realize that's essentially entrepreneurship in a nutshell. It's high risk, high reward. Um, And yeah, I, I go to uni because I fell foul to the, the closed questioning of the careers advisor and, studied um what did i study oh my god i can't remember what the title of the course was that's how it was, meaningless it, it was it really yeah it's just, i've gone blank and it and it didn't mean that much to me it was i love that it was somewhere in between 
like mm-hmm. business management, which would have been too boring for me. And it was a year before they brought out the team entrepreneurship courses that exist now, which I'm kind of pissed about because I probably would have done, but actually I'm kind of happy about because I don't think you need to pay 50 grand to start a business. Rather put that into my business, thanks. Correct. Um, so it was somewhere in between. It was, it was business entrepreneurship, business enterprise. That's what it was called. Business right. enterprise. It means nothing. No. Um, and yeah, I did it for six months. And uh, got to the point of doing exams and just started to ask myself a question about like, I'm not excited about this. I'm not doing great at it. And that's because I wasn't excited about it and you know, draw lines between enjoyment and school and how well you did at certain grades. And unsurprisingly, you did well at the ones you enjoyed probably. Um, and then asking all those questions about, okay, well, if, manage, if managing director is a title I'm interested in, and entrepreneurship is a thing, you don't actually need qualifications to hire yourself to run your own company. Why am I here and what am I learning that I couldn't necessarily learn on the internet, which was obviously you know, at a point where it was very prevalent at that point, and I could mostly find stuff on YouTube and reading books. And so all of that came to a head. I decided that I would I would probably drop out. Now, this is an important part of the story that isn't just my story, it's for most other people. The dropout story is always so glamorized. It's always yeah. like, oh, I went for one day and then I dropped out. Maybe that happened, maybe. But I'm going to call BS on most of those stories. Because uh, for, one, for two reasons. One, if you're a good entrepreneur, you make informed decisions, not snap decisions. Um, and so if you're a good entrepreneur and your story is that you dropped out and it was instant then that's actually kind of scary. Like, would mm. I really back somebody who made such a snap decision like that? Secondly, you almost can't do that. You have to have some sort of administrative process in dropping out because the uni needs to know you're not going anymore. Mm. And so what I did is I went to careers, spoke to administration, asked them what I should do. They said you can defer for two years, which means you could basically drop out, come back at any time within two years. If you decide not and pick up where you left off, basically, if you decide not to come back, you have to restart and go again. I was like, well, two years is long enough for me to figure out if this this thing I want to take a stab at is a good idea or not. And so I did that. So it's far less glamorous deferring for two years rather than dropping out. But people love a dropout story. So given yeah. the given the pressures of going to uni, I think the route into uni and entrepreneurship is interesting because you're almost pushed to go regardless of your capabilities or your interests. It is just, you go to uni. Um, Did you feel when you were dropping out this sense of guilt or you a bit of a fuck up or like how, how did you comprehend that in and amongst the kind of pressures that we all seem to see surrounding uni? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I reacted for sure. Um, unbeknownst to them, I think my family had painted a picture to me over years, subtly, but like drip fed the fact that, you know, me and my sister are chalk and cheese. She's not hugely academic herself and, and probably just assumed she wouldn't go to uni. Therefore, I felt a little bit of pressure on me as one of two siblings to be able to be the one that did. Um, and there was this regular or occasional suggestion. I remember my auntie saying it more than most, but of like, the picture on the mantelpiece of you and your cap and gown and that being like a merit of success when you know i'm going to say something quite controversial now but that's mostly just something that you get if you've paid somebody now well at the time it was nine grand a year and now it's even more than that or three grand a year sorry and now it's even more than that right it's a cap and gown that represents a massive amount of debt i could just go and buy one that'd be cheaper than going university if you really want to see a picture of me in that outfit i don't um, think that's controversial I, i'm fifth uh, with interest rates now i'm probably north of 55k <sighs> I, am i ever going to pay it off no because i don't I, I don't pay myself for salary <laughs> yeah so. yeah i think it is a life hack is like yeah i'm not saying about you know this isn't financial advice or tax no, no, avoidance no. evasion no, advice but being an entrepreneur is an easy way to avoid that stuff um probably um but it's yeah i just felt loads of pressure on on me to like go because that mm. was an expectation and then, but then at the same time, obviously the, the pressure on myself to be what I wanted to be, but still, you know, making it up as you go along because that's all we're ever doing. Everybody's ever doing. So, like, what's the right decision here? And who do I listen to? Do I listen to myself and my gut and my heart and my family who have been there and done it and have expectations. And those three things were like fighting and fighting and fighting to a point where it was almost like a, a pressure point would just burst. And I asked that question about, you know, can I defer? Can I drop out? Whatever. Make the decision. And there are. I don't, I'm not a hugely physically emotional person. 
Um, I don't cry a lot. I'm not proud of that. I'd like to more, but like, it's just me. It's the way I am. But there are two times that I've properly like bored my eyes out. Um, and for different reasons, I'm sure I'll get to, but one of those was when I decided to drop out of uni. I remember coming home, going straight to the bathroom at my parents' house, sitting in the bathroom and literally just crying. I think my mum heard me and she was like, you okay? And I was like, yeah. Reality was, it was a combination of like fear, disappointment. But if I, if I really think about it, it was just massive relief, massive relief that my brain had finally gone you're on a path towards something that you're happy with now. Mm. Um, and that's why the second time it happened was when I quit the last full-time job I ever had because, yes, it drove me to, like, almost insanity for the three weeks I did it. It's a recruitment job. It's crazy. I, I've got a huge amount of respect for the people that can do that without going insane. I know. Um, I, and, did it for, uh, I did it for a few you years. You did it too. It's getting kind of scary how much we've got in well, common, to be for honest. For people with ADD, ADHD, it's just impossible. We'll get on yeah. that later. We will. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that happened. And short answer to your, your question, yeah, um, felt a huge amount of pressure. But when that decision was made, a huge amount of relief and fear at the same time, but a huge amount of relief and, you know, had to then figure the rest out along the way. And it's it's funny. The, the main thing that I've observed, observed since is like, you know, parents will say, it's okay, like, you'll figure it out. We're here for you, whatever, whatever. And and you you hear the tone change over time when you actually start to figure it out. I'm not saying they never believed in me because I'm sure they did. You know, they'll say they did and they definitely said those words, but they definitely said it with a sense of like, like, are you really sure you're really doing what you're, like, what you're supposed to be doing here? At the start, it was like, yeah, you know, we're here for you. But there was always the whole like go and get a normal job thing. And now 10 years later, having not gone and got a quote-unquote normal job for a while and at the very least just about making it work sometimes, mm. it's, they won't bloody shut up about it and telling really? their friends about it. Really? And it's like full circle, which is That's nice, lovely. Yeah. But it's also a bit cringe. Incredibly proud of you. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. I don't take it for granted. I know a lot of people don't have that opportunity. And so, mm. uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate it. And I understand that privilege. But it is also a bit annoying when like you put a Facebook post up on your company page and two people that like it and comment straight away are your parents, um, uh, which I'm sure lots of people can affiliate that's excellent. with. So, yeah. That's yeah. excellent. Hey, can I ask a massive favor? Can you subscribe to this podcast right now if you haven't already? Your subscribes, your sharing, your liking, your commenting all over social media is increasing our reach and it's meaning that founders out there know it's okay to talk about their mental health. Thank you. So I wanted to give a massive shout out to our sponsors, Founders Taboo, the headspace for founders. Founders Taboo are building the world's largest free online course and community for founders' mental health and well-being. The course has been designed in five chapters covering startup-specific pressures, well-being and recovery topics. Therefore, whether you are a founder, you're an investor, you're an employee, you're a family member or anyone with an interest in founder mental health and well-being, this is for you. They want to make it super easy for founders and the people around them to learn about founder mental health and well-being in the startup ecosystem. If you want to go check them out, go to www.founderstaboo.com. Um, let's talk about different because you dropped out of uni and you started different because it was started different. a couple of things before. Right. Um, okay. And then started different. So yeah, started a, a quick, quick whistle stop tour. Started a, a marketing agency because um, like no offense to agency owners, but it is an easier business than a lot to start because you know enough about computers and you sell time for money, then you could probably do something if you're a bit creative. And I, I was doing branding and, and web stuff. I'd teach myself Dreamweaver at the time as it was. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I was doing stuff for friends uh, for a couple of quid and then friends of friends for a couple more quid and eventually people I didn't know for enough to just about pay me properly. So that was how that went. Worked part-time as a letting agent for three years, um, which, you know, just to pay my way, pay my bills, pay my, pay my parents some rent. Um, arguably I did it for too long it was a safety net that like was easy to fall back on 
jumped out of there, had a wobble moment of like, oh my God, should I, you know, get a normal job, quote unquote, and uh, did that recruitment thing and realized absolutely not, like it's not for me. I'm going to go and throw everything at this and make this work. And then, yeah, grew the agency a little bit more, merged it. So merged it was just me at the time. So partnered up with another tiny agency, which still exists, um, called Gumption uh, in Froome, just south of Bath. Um, Jenna runs that still. Um, it's a great agency if anybody wants to check it out. And, um, and yeah, we, we doubled down on specializing in social at a time when nobody really understood how to measure the ROI of social for businesses. We basically got to the point where we could and, um, and start growing that. But alongside that, I'd started a meetup um, because I was always the youngest person at networking events. My friends didn't really get what I was doing for a living. My parents probably never will and wanted to just try and connect with people who just got it, basically. All these morning networking events, breakfast meetings, 7 a.m. fry-ups that I was going to, and everybody was just older than me. Some people were asking me for a drink because they thought I worked there, when I'm like, no, I'm here too, like in the same situation you are. And I, and I say that with a amount of privilege that was just age that was the main thing for me. Like, where was everybody else that were like me but didn't look like me or sound like me? Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to find a room of people that just got it and uh and set up an event branded it nicely because that was my job at the time you know if i'm trying to build something out of nothing at least needs to look like something called it yena at the time which was the young entrepreneur networking association sounded super official and uh set it up online and marketed it on linkedin i remember one guy going this is discriminatory um yeah does this mean you don't want the advice of people that have been there and done it before and i'm like no it's just supposed to be a safe space where People with pessimistic attitudes like this don't aren't in the room, you know. Like it's kind yeah. of making the point. You're forward. proving proving my point, literally. Um, and I said to him, "You can come along if you want. Like, feel free. But you know, you'll know whether it's right for you or not. It's mm. about a generational conversation. Mm. Things that we're dealing with. That you know, we're not talking about houses or kids or retirement. We're talking about how the hell do we find our first partner in life while we're trying to figure ourselves out. All of that stuff. And, um, and yeah, and then they liked it. They asked when the next one was. I didn't know, so I just said next month. And the long story short is we've run them ever since. And at some point in that journey, Yenna, which became different, hit too much traction. There was like too many cities, too many people attending, too many people asking what we sold, which at that time was nothing. Like, what do you want? And the agency got to an inflection point where like, it was either push the agency further or jump into this. And as I said to you, and we laughed about before, um, you know, I left the thing that made some money and jumped into the thing that made no money because it's a classic entrepreneurial decision to make, I guess. Um, so where did different so that's, go? That's this one. So different came from Yenna. Different, uh, Yenna basically developed time and time and time again um, over time. And there's a blog I wrote about it actually called Community Product Fit, which in my opinion is much harder to find in product market fit, which is already hard in itself. That's very interesting. Can you explain that? Yeah. So really briefly, um, product market fit is a famed like you know, concept, I guess, in startups. It's a point at which your business essentially starts to sell itself. People are buying it because they're looking for it. The market wants it. You're providing it. They fit perfectly together and away you go and that's hard to find for a lot of people you know but and, and, and that's difficult in its own every business needs to find that in some way shape or form generally speaking community product fit which is i don't i presume somebody else coined that but it just sounded right to me so i started using it um is the same concept but when you've built a community before building the business afterwards and the problem you have there is you have to find a common denominator for tens, hundreds, or thousands, if not more people, that they will then all go and buy. The problem is they all will tell you something different, um, and you have to find a common denominator there. And it's very easy to find the wrong one over and over and over again. There's a famous quote you know, about Henry Ford of the, of the Model T Ford. You know, if you ask people what they wanted when they had horses, they would have just said faster or more horses. He just built the car because it was a better solution to that. And so community product fit is this convergence of asking people what they want, understanding what they want, even if they don't know, and building the thing that solves that problem and convincing them why it's the, why it's the solution, um, which is a more complex uh, algorithm to try and solve versus seeing somebody's got a bit of a rundown garden building a landscaping company going 
do you want me to do your garden for you? Um, which, you know, is, isn't easy still. You have to convince them, sales techniques, all of those things. But arguably, in my opinion, easier than building a community of people um, and then trying to find out what to sell them, which is really poignant because everybody keeps getting told to build communities nowadays. Which I know, I'm it's, for. it's so hard. But, so hard. We're trying to build one at, at Luna, but I think we've got a very small community of people who absolutely love us they love us because we're taking the time to get to know them versus actually just building a community for the sake of building a community and it being a um non-engaged community but it's such a hard skill to master i think um and one which we're nowhere near um you've your relationship with founders taboo and I know this has kind of gone on a slight tangent here, but your relationship with Founders Taboo is all about um, imposter syndrome. How has imposter syndrome affected you? Loads of ways. Still does. Always will, I think. Um, what does it feel probably like? something. It feels like not being good enough. Mm. It feels like never achieving what you think you could achieve. Um it's a symptom, I would presume, you know, armchair psychology here, but of, of, of wanting or needing, again, the childhood conversation to be an overachiever um, because you are always striving for something more. And regardless of whether you achieve that first milestone, you'll create a new one for yourself and then you've got to go and find that. And so, therefore, by definition, you're never quite making it as far as you want because there will always be more. And as a result of not making it quite as far as you want, you start to feel like you're underachieving and therefore like, am I really the person to go and do this? You know, it's rife now because we have exposure thanks to, you know, phones and social media. We have exposure to so many people that are doing other things, mm. better or worse. It doesn't matter. It's all relative. And, you know, polished versions of those things because so many people aren't putting out those real versions of themselves online because it doesn't make for great content most of the time. You don't get the endorphin hit of seeing somebody, you know, do okay. You get the endorphin hit of seeing somebody do bad or amazingly. Like there's films of people that just have nice lives aren't films you're going to go and watch. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so imposter syndrome comes from that. It's, um, you know, I, I always think about entrepreneurship as a blessing and a curse. Having have an ambitious mind is a blessing and a curse because you will always want more, but you'll never quite achieve everything that you really want. And and that makes me jealous of the, you know, say this tongue in cheek because there's no real no real uh, persona for this, but the average person, quote unquote, mm. um, who isn't as ambitious as the entrepreneurial people that I get to speak to all the time because they're content a lot of the time. You know, go to work, come home, chill with their kids go to sleep, build their pension, make, you know, mid five figures, low five figures, high five figures, six figures, whatever it might be, but they're just happy. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I'm kind of jealous of that because they're not sat there thinking necessarily, you know, they might not be sat there thinking, right, what can I do tomorrow? What can I do in the next hour? What can I, and it, it can drive you crazy if you don't mm. manage it and aren't self-aware of it. And I think that's what's, what imposter syndrome is. But it means that, you know, naturally you undersell yourself sometimes. I find, you know, Culturally, again, anecdotally, no data to back this up. I find in my experience and 10 years of experience of dealing with startups and founders, I find that Brits are a, are, a, are a real breed of people that would deal with this quite a lot because naturally, culturally, we're apologetic and not yeah. as like outwardly spoken as maybe our US counterparts might be. And so we often don't drink our own Kool-Aid. We're apologetic about the Kool-Aid we're trying to sell, um, which you know, isn't really conducive to building a really successful business really really quickly um so yeah so that's imposter syndrome for me um you've been working with for founders and also helping aid adventures invest in founders as well for a while now um like if a founder came to you and said look i'm i'm suffering from imposter syndrome um it will virtually never ever happen because it's not something we would we would say but um, hypothetically speaking, what what would you what would you say to that person? How, how to overcome, or I don't think you ever overcome imposter syndrome. How do you manage imposter syndrome so it doesn't yeah, affect managing. you? Sorry, I'm still here. Um, managing um, is definitely the way. 
Um, cause yeah, I don't know whether you can overcome it. If you, if you can, it's, it's through ways that a far higher paid therapist than myself would be able to, to advise. Um, but how I would, how I would manage it is firstly doing what I do, which is uh, acknowledging it, understanding it, un- understanding the science, the psychology, the, 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 the triggers, the, the reason exists. It's like, you know, again, anecdotally just my way of dealing with these things like grief right you know say like the stages of grief you have to recognize it understand it sit with it move through it get past it i don't know what the actual phrase is but you know that there's there's steps to grief and i think it's the same with imposter syndrome to just understand this is happening to me i'm gonna go and you know uh, it, it won't it won't sit here forever but i'm gonna i'm gonna understand it and move past it i actually kind of liken it a lot of the time to um my previous fear of flying. I'm not huge on heights. Um, got to get on a plane sometime if you want to go and explore the world. Mm. Um, and I used to not be a huge fan of flying, um, mostly taking off. And I'm still not a huge fan of it now. But the way that I kind of got past it was just, I'm a bit of a science geek, was just understanding the science. A plane isn't just going to drop out of the sky, right? Even if all the engines fail, it's got wings, it's going forwards, it'll glide. You might be a bit screwed when you hit the ground, but like you're not just going to fall 30,000 feet to zero feet straight away because that's not how science works. It's the same with imposter syndrome. It's not going to stop you. You just need to understand why it's happening, the science behind it, how it's affecting you. Then we can come up with strategies to manage it. So my advice is understand it, acknowledge it, figure out how how you should manage it. And it might be taking time out, might be mantras it might be chatting to somebody else might be offloading a whole bunch of things how do you manage Um, it how do i manage it it is in kind of just sitting with it um really i'll yeah i'll usually just kind of acknowledge it realize it's happening and there's uh, it's a funny thing about self-awareness you like you see that happening but you can't just change it straight away like you can see it in yourself but it's like being sad you know or being depressed when people just say why don't you uh, have you tried just being happy like that's crazy to me you know when people are like oh here's how to solve depression just go for a walk and i'm like you've clearly been lucky enough never to have depression because you can't go for said walk because it stops you from doing it it's not as easy as that um and uh and it's the same with imposter syndrome so well it's similar not the same but um you know i'll just sit there with it i'll i'll i'll, I'll recognize it's happening and then now, you know, quirky little little get-arounds and hacks. For me, I have this, you know, proverbial British hat, an American hat. I'm not American, I don't think. Never done my 93 and me or whatever it is to be able to find out where I'm actually from, given how old America is. 23 and me. From there. 23 and me, that's the one. I'm yeah. uh, just trying not to name drop brands. 23 and me can come sponsor you if they want to there actually get the, uh, the name drop. Um, well, they'll have to battle with Founders Taboo, who's sponsoring this. Good. Great sponsor. Great company. Everyone should go and check them out. Um, exactly. The um, Love those guys. Um, yeah. Like, just just figuring out those things. And then, um, and then yeah, sorry. Like, it just, just... The quirks. Just moving, moving through it, basically. Those quirks. Yeah. And then, yeah, the quirk for me is like that US hat, that UK hat. I could go into a meeting with my apologetic side my imposter yeah. syndrome side like oh I'm just trying to do this you know mm. trying to help just do whatever or i can go into a meeting and i won't use the accent because that would just be weird but like i'll go into a meeting and be like look here's what we're doing we're gonna do it whether you like it or not you can be on board if you want you don't have to be you know that's a version of it it's not exact pitch i give but one of those is far more convincing than the other one correct and it doesn't have to be a hat that i wear all the time it's just a hat i wear temporarily i think it's a it's a film that i love called we built a zoo um and there's a concept in there it's a film i can't remember who's in it um i'll remember in a bit but um it's it's a beautiful film um it's about a family that build a zoo um and there's a concept in there just just that people might like which is something I think it's like 20 seconds of confidence i think that's what it is and it's just they adopt that to be able to go and do something go and chat to the person they want to chat to that they can't chat to um and and we do that all of us like whether we like it or not we all have different masks right mm. like you're probably a different person with your partner than you are on the podcast and you are at work than you are with your parents and 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 i'm the same i'm a different person with my parents than i am with my friends and i am at work 
than I am on a podcast. And so I'll wear different hats. And, and for me, getting past imposter syndrome, one of the small hacks is, is those, you know, the US hat and the UK hat. Um, I'm not trying to tire everybody with the same brush. It's just a, I guess it's just a stereotype that I apply to myself when I'm, when I'm bringing out confidence, as it were. Let's talk about what we spoke about yesterday, which was <laughs> the undiagnosed ADD, ADHD um, that I think we both suffer from. And it's only been a very recent realization for us both that that's been an issue. Like, how does, how did your kind of discovery come about? And, and also, when you look back at how you've evolved as a human being and also how you've evolved as an entrepreneur, how has it actually affected you? Because I can reel off so much shit that's happened. And I'm like, I'm like, wow, um, this is bang on me. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating world. Scary as well. Yeah, I would. I want to hear yours as well. Um, but um, but yeah, happy to share. So for me, it's been like a longer journey than I realized. I tongue in cheek just joked that I had undiagnosed ADHD for a long time. Matt, Ada Ventures would always like rib me about it. Like I would do something that would be, you know, a stereotypical trait. And he would call me out and go, mm, there it is again. And, you know, I just took it as a, as a little... Um, I don't know, just a little uh, funny comment every now and again that I would either say myself or or he or other people that I've mentioned it to would. And then, I don't know what it was. I think it was just the end of lockdown. A lot of people did, you know, a lot of self-exploration because we don't have anything else to do. Um, so, you know, started diving into my own psyche. You know, why am I doing this? What's happening? Like, how can I self-improve? All of that stuff. And to self-improve, you need to really understand yourself deeply enough, first and foremost. And one of those things was, oh, is this real, really? And I think, you know, content started becoming a thing. I know there's a bit of a... Is what real, huge, sorry? Um, you know, is, this, is this ADHD assumption? Right, okay. You know, actually mm. reality. Um, and yeah, and, and so, yeah, there's lots of content coming out at the time. Um, lots of, you know online stuff you never want to diagnose yourself using google because you're always worried it's going to tell you that you've got some crazy bubonic plague disease that you know when you've actually just got a headache probably so um i always try and avoid that but i also try not to lean on the nhs too much because i know they're busy as it is and i'm like well if this isn't something that's really physically affecting me then like i don't want to book myself in and take someone else's spot um so just sat in the middle. But yeah, just did some self-exploration. You know, a couple of friends had been diagnosed not too long ago and they still have paperwork from it. And they said, hey, come and run through this. It's, if you say strongly agree to most of these questions, then you probably do. Like that's that's mostly how they, they diagnose you in the first kind of meeting. Mm. I did. And every single box was strongly agree. I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe I do. Um, or this is at least cause for, for going for a diagnosis. Um, the waiting list is two years on the NHS. So I'm looking at private now. But um, if I can afford it, but, uh, but it just all adds up. Like the realization that it's probably actually a thing was a weight off my shoulders, weirdly. And then added a new kind of little weight back onto my shoulders. The weight off was like, so much makes sense now, as you said, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll affiliate on lots of these things. Unread books. I've got mm. a whole bookcase there, three on my bedside table. I've finished one book in like the last 18 months. So many entrepreneurs are like, oh, I read a book every two weeks. I do. I'm like, cool. Like, I'm so jealous. I wish I could, but I can't. Um, and I can't do that. Audiobooks sound great, but I can't listen to an audiobook while I'm doing something else because I won't be able to take it in. So there's actually no point in doing the audiobook. I might as well read it in the first place. Oh my God, amen. Uh, it's just, that's why I really love taking stories like that from media instead. So like the film about the McDonald's founder or, you know, anti-stories, but Theranos and the We Crashed, you know, shows that have come out recently. Great stories about things that have happened, but delivered to me in a way that's also entertainment. So I'm not compromising on either. Um, but yeah, all of that it explains, uh, probably explains the OCD, the actual OCD that I had when I was a kid. I know people use OCD flippantly now for being a bit tidy and that's interesting and I'm okay with it. I'm not too triggered by it, but had that literally when I was a, a teenager and hindsight, I'm like, oh, maybe that all added up. And so, yeah. Um, and, and, and I guess bang up to date. And I don't know whether this is the same for you. Um, I'd be curious to find out is, you know, so many books talk about doing the one thing, focus, 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 no matter how much I try, I can't do it. My brain's all over the place. And it, and, and when I try and do it, I get a bit bored. 
Mm. So like at the end of last year, last year just generally, was running different, only different, on its own. And like it's great. It's a nice little business. It's a lifestyle company and it really helps a lot of people and that's great. Um, And I'm not about to like stop doing that stuff anytime soon as well, I'm sure I'll get to. But that was awesome. But I was getting a bit bored, weirdly, even though there was always more I could do. I was getting a bit bored. My brain just wasn't excited. So I said, in realizing this self-diagnosis, I said, actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go against normal advice. I'm going to lean into multiple things. So, you know, span up a a consultancy that does community consulting called Super, started working on a a project in Stealth that's going to be basically a really, hopefully a really large company to come. Um, And the amalgamation of basically 10 years of startup experience. Um, And in doing all, and and a a couple of the consulting gigs are now kind of like retainer-based, so I'm doing those too. But in doing all of those things at the same time, they're all better than they otherwise would be on their own. Mm. Um, And I think that's probably something that's fairly idiosyncratic to people with ADD, ADHD. Again, Mm. it's all assumption because I'm pre-diagnosis, but... um, Same as me. Same as me. So yeah, I I think what you... you, Yeah, what you you talk... When you talk about um, books in particular, my Kindle is really loose um <laughs> there's a lot in there that i i, I get through i probably get like, to 60 percent just if digital of, books weighed as much as physical yeah, books how much fuck. would your kindle weigh yeah wow well, a lot <laughs> i've got i've got 60 books in my library sure um nice. yeah and i reckon i've read four or five tops yeah f- from from start to finish um most of them are sitting about 50 percent um I, I like you get bored um, and the thing about um, Audible and audiobooks like I tried it really found it difficult because again I just couldn't take it in um, I think the other the other stuff is um, hyperactivity like I can often go in, in in the morning I get really early anyway at, because that's just where my brain starts and I will have done a week's work in one morning yeah and pestered my entire team about like have we got this done this that and then and then i crash and then yeah. i burn for the day and um and then i focus on one thing solely i hyper focus but i have so much going on that that is where i um, flourish is is not just having um, Luna this podcast I do a lot of work in the corporate world as well like speaking stuff um, potentially starting another podcast for a very well known men's health brand um, soon like that that to me keeps me alive versus mm. sat here going right we're going to build Luna because we're still building it but I have to do more. Um, also, the inability to do nothing. I get like these intense urges, and they're they're random, but to do stuff, I have to yeah. do stuff. I fidget. So, I have to. I have to. Um, I have to go and have an outcome for the day. I can't just sit on the sofa. And I, I can sit on the sofa and watch TV, but then I will need to have done something with my day. <laughs> have I completed that series Correct. today? Because exactly. that needs to be some it, sort of this, point. I need to have. Yeah. I need to have a. I need to have a something during that day. And um, also, I'm unbelievably disorganised. It's actually yeah. painful. Um, <laughs> hiring an EA or a VA was the best thing I ever did because she manages my entire life even my personal life now, which um, my mum and Abby have basically said, like, oh, we'll just get in touch with Tash instead. Like, it's that <laughs> it's kind of shit. It's a very four-hour work. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's like, wow, okay. Um, they're like, there's no point in asking you to do anything or trying to talk to you about something because it goes straight over your head. It doesn't even go in. Yeah. And, and that is... It's only been recently where I was like, okay, well, how do you hack your way around this? Um, and you have to recognize it. You have to explore it. And you have to be like, well, okay, um, I don't work like normal people. I don't live or I don't think like normal people who might not have that condition. Um, and that has been a massive breakthrough. 
the interesting thing though you said uh, it's it's also put a burden on you i feel completely the same because i'm i'm now working out ways in which i can improve and mm. um and get better with it but mm. that in inherently does add another layer of complexity to that burden because you're like well okay well is it my adhd is it my add is it like it, where is this coming from and how is this affecting people that i might not even realize it's affecting and that's really i'm I, i'm struggling with that at the moment is understanding i have this um this thing mm. and how do people harness it in a way which isn't damaging to them um because most people won't operate like this even though i believe that actually um this condition is very po very common in men in particular um it's there's there's a there's a girl actually on or well there's a woman on linkedin um mm -hmm. ellie middleton mm -hmm. who talks about this so brilliantly um and she's a personal brand manager but she's she's got she's they call it neurodivergent and i think that's fascinating but equally i would love to know how many entrepreneurs have undiagnosed autism adhd add are mm. neurodivergent and actually if they harnessed it and they owned it they would fly yeah 100 percent. you're right it opens up a huge amount of opportunities and strategies but once you're on the other side of understanding because otherwise you start to build the wrong coping me mechanisms i find I, I've, I've tried a few that just weren't right and i was probably digging myself a bigger hole it does make me think about you know admittedly it does make me think about you know could would i, I don't want to because i'm the sort of per person that wouldn't take a paracetamol necessarily if i've got a headache i just have a glass of water and sleep it off but you know makes me think about medication um and just mainly out of the fascination of like what like what would my brain be like if it wasn't doing this what would life be um, like on the other side yeah but then also knowing this is very meta also knowing that like oh, i don't know whether addictive personalities necessarily exist i i hear i hear likewise but knowing that like I guess my brain is kind of addicted to hits of dopamine from reward. Like if my brain's better on medication or perceived to be better on medication, I'm more productive on medication, then would I create an unhealthy relationship with that feeling of going, wow, I've, I'm amazing on these meds, and then therefore become addicted to the meds because of the, the productivity that I get from them and mm. therefore create an unhealthy relationship. So I'm very tentative about it. I want to explore it, but it's the reason why I've never done any drug in my life because... I'm worried that as soon as I enjoy it, I'll want it constantly. Um, and mm. that's not something that's healthy. I have done drugs, um, mm. variety of them at mm. uni. Um, mm. And um, I'm a massive fan of, I want to go and um, microdose LSD and psilocybin um, mm. to explore my mental health. That's one of the things that's on my kind of list of things to do probably next There's year. ultimate podcast happening there, by the way. Just yeah. go and jump on the Rogan one. And I know. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, and I think, and I, I medicate for depression. And mm. I think that whilst I'm trying to slowly wean myself off antidepressants, um, they did give me the ability to actually think and and that when I could not, I just couldn't think for like mm. for a long, long time. And it's the same with with some drugs, actually. I, I remember having these very profound experiences um, not long ago, to be honest with you, a few years ago on on like on drugs like MDMA, etc. Mm. and exploring what was going on inside my head and sitting there it mm -hmm. is an unbelievable world to kind of tack um, tap into but equally you do i don't think you in my experience i don't think you get that constant urge to keep going back sure if you're in a safe space mm -hmm. it's 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 a it's it's an amazing thing to go through actually um 
I don't. I don't think if you. I mean, if you're using if you're using coke, for example, like that. There's a very. There's a diff. There's a difference there because it's not sure. really altering your, um, your neurology. It is purely just a pretty big stimulant, right? Yeah. Um, and with coke, you really do want more. But with other drugs, it's you're kind of like you you know the limit and you know mm -hmm. the boundary, um, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's for more exploration. Um, that's how I've seen it anyway. That um, makes sense. Yeah, and I mean, I guess like I can speak to it to the tiniest degree. I say the tiniest degree. The argues depend, depends on your opinion on what a drug is, but like alcohol is a drug and arguably more dangerous than some of the others, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. weed is arguably far safer and, and, and nicer than alcohol is. So yeah, I can see how I, I react to that. And it's not like I'm, you know, an alcoholic and gonna go and have a drink after this, but um or need it. Uh but it is just that conscious diving in when you want to lower some inhibitions or whatever. And so I can see I could assume parallels with other drugs in similar ways. So, yeah, interesting. Not not a topic I, I discuss often because I don't have a huge amount of you know perception on it or perspective on it. But um, but good to hear from the other side. Mm. We've done almost an hour, my friend. It's crazy, isn't it? Things yeah. fly. I could do this all day. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on, um, talking about your imposter syndrome, talking about vulnerabilities talking about who you are because at the end of the day i mean we've just sat here talked about drugs like wow well, okay yeah <laughs> brave um but equally everyone everyone does them at some stage um mm. so yeah thank you so much for your time and coming on thank you for having me it's been great you know i, I want to hear want to hear more of these with other people which i will go and listen to them um and and subscribe just like everybody else should cheap plug 100%. but um yeah, I just, I just, um, what I'm loving right now is that more and more people are talking about this openly. I don't think it's talked about enough. And hopefully, you know, the fact that we're hiding this and showing our best selves makes for the great, the best content. Hopefully, that starts, that paradigm starts to shift now and actually showing our true selves mm. makes for the best content. So, yeah, thank you for, for having these conversations with people. It's, it's great. Let's uh, keep doing more of them. Absolutely. Top man. Thanks for having me, bud.